to your seats. If you will stand, remain standing for the reading of God's Word, uh, we will be looking at 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 7 through 11. For be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality one to another without grumbling, as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. May we be blessed by the reading of God's word this morning. Uh, you may be seated. I've been thinking this week as I've been preparing for this message, how appropriate it is that God would have us here in this text, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, um, after we uh, heard from John last week that he uh, would be resigning, I, I thought to myself, leaving Sunday service last Sunday, God, what, what do you have for us? And how, God, do you enable us as a church to begin and continue to wade our way through all that you have for us? And in this text, I believe that Peter, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, shows us that. How, how do we uh, continue to move forward? The, the morning, this morning's message uh, is entitled being uh, stewards of God's grace. How are we to steward God's grace on us as a church? This passage is for the church. This, this is not for us outside of the church primarily. It's how do we do God's grace and stewards God's grace on us as believers here in the church? How do we continue to make our way through all that God has for us. I believe it's going to come down to one thing. It's going to come down to how do we love each other. That's what this text is all about, loving each other. And Peter is going to kind of map out some things that he's already discussed in the previous uh, few chapters. He's going to tell us here in this, these four verses, five verses, to be sober-minded to love one another, to show hospitality, and to serve one another. This comes right out of the text where he says, and is making a challenge before that in verse uh, 3. Remember he says, uh, don't give yourselves to drunkenness, therefore be sober-minded in this passage. He says, uh, don't give yourselves to lawlessness, show sincere love to one another. He says to us, don't put yourselves in sexual uh, promiscuity, show hospitality to one another. And lastly, he says, uh, when, when they give themselves to uh, making fun of you or maligning you, he says, serve one another. He's talking about inside the church. How do we do this inside the church? We'll look at three things this morning. The first thing we'll look at is the motivation of our spiritual duty or the motivation of showing God's grace to one another inside the church. Then we'll look at the method of showing God's grace or stewarding God's grace to one another. And lastly, we'll look at the mission of showing God's grace to one another. So this morning, it's the motivation, the method, and the mission of God's grace for us, the church, to the church. And so what first is our motivation? Let's read what P- 
Peter tells us, ought to be our motivation for showing grace to one another in the church. Uh, highlight this in your Bible. He says, is what Jack just read to us. The end of all things is at hand. Do we believe that this morning? Because if we believe that all things are at hand, the end of all things are at hand, then that will give us a motivation to do God's grace to one another. And so the question you have to ask yourself this morning, I have to ask myself is, do we believe the end of all things is at hand? Let's turn over to uh, first, Second Peter chapter 3. Here's what Peter says, or Paul says about the end times. This is what it's going to look like. Second Peter chapter 3. Verse 1, Paul says this, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Are we not there this morning? For people will become lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpleasantable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. So here, Peter says the end of all things is at hand. We look back at what Paul tells us what the end's going to look like. Does it not sound like we're coming near the end? This is a list of what it's going to look like. I would say for us here in the church, it looks to be true that the end is all at hand. That's what Peter tells us here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, the very first part. So what does he mean that the end of all things is at hand? Circle the word end in your Bible. It's, un, it's crucial to understand what Peter is trying to tell us here. The word end in the Greek means the consummation of, the fulfillment of, or the purpose have, has already been attained. He's saying the end is at hand. What, what's the end he's talking about? The end is what Christ has already come and done and accomplished on the finished work of Jesus Christ. And now he's saying the end is at, is at hand. It's as if he's saying this. We've already reached the finish line. And do we believe that we're in the end times? We're not waiting for the finished work of Christ to happen on the cross. They were the, the way they were in the Old Testament. They were the way were at the very start of the New Testament. What Peter's saying, hey, that has come and that has been accomplished. And so the question we have to ask ourselves, do we believe that the end is near? Because if we believe that the end is near, that's going to give us a motivation to show God's grace to one another. I think we live in this world that says, you know, it's, it's not going to happen in my lifetime. Christ's return isn't going to happen in my lifetime. And if I were to tell you this morning, no, Christ is going to come next Saturday, how would we live differently? If you were to know today, this morning, that Christ's return was going to happen next Saturday, what would you do? What would I do? How would I love the church more? How would I serve the body more? I don't mean Pals Chapel. I mean us as believers more. 
And then what motivation would that give me for the unbelievers that are in the church if you were to know that Christ's return was happening Saturday? Well, that's what Peter is saying. He's saying it this way, hey, you've rounded that last leg of the race. You can see the finish line. It's right there. It's right before you. I think so often we here in the American church, we don't believe that the finish line is that close. And so because we don't believe that, we have no motivation to show God's love and to show God's grace to one another. So we must this morning have the mindset that the end is near. It's what Peter says. The end of all things is at hand. It's right there in your grasp. It's right there at, at your fingertips. It's not something that's going to happen a long time from now. He's saying it's right in front of us. Do we believe that this morning? Because if we don't believe this, then what's going to happen next for us? It won't matter about the method that we take, and it won't matter about the mission we take until we really grasp and understand and believe, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. The end is at hand. The end is closer than you know, closer than you think, closer than you could imagine. And that's going to be our motivation for showing God's love and God's grace to us first in the church. Do we believe that to be true this morning? Which will lead us to the second part, the method of God's grace to one another. If we have the motivation to show God's grace, then what is the method to show God's grace. How are we to show God's grace to one another? He makes it very clear. He lists a few things. Three things he lists. Your holiness, your love, your hospitality, and using your gifts. And so we'll look at those. The first thing he says, the, the method of your spiritual maturity or the method of your spiritual duty or the method of showing God's grace is first what he says to us here in this passage. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. For what purpose? For your prayers. So the first thing is concerning our personal holiness. You see, because you won't love one another, you won't serve one another, you won't show hospitality to one another, unless what? You have a personal holiness about you unless you are becoming more and more like Christ that's what he says to us here in this passage he says two things be self-controlled and sober-minded so I'd ask you this this morning are you self-controlled this morning and do you have a sober mind this morning we've talked about what it means to be self-controlled and we've talked about what it means to be sober-minded is that true for you this this morning So that, what? So that in being self-controlled and sober-minded, your personal holiness, for what reason? For your prayers. He's saying if you can't be self-controlled and you don't have a sober mind, you'll never come to holiness in your prayer life. It's what James says, you'll be a divided man, a divided woman, if you don't have self-control and aren't sober-minded. So when you and I come to God first and foremost, is our mind full of things that would cause us to be a double-minded man? Because if it is, then that will distract us in our prayer life, and our prayer life primarily is the way to our holiness. 
our, our time with the Lord, our quiet times, whatever you want to call it. If I go to the Lord and I'm not sober-minded and don't have self-control, then the outcome in my quiet time is going to leave me uh, spiritually uh, malnourished. It's as if I'm coming to the banquet table and I'm overwhelmed with everything and I just can't even eat. You ever been there before? So hungry and yet don't even know how to fill, fill what's your appetite? I don't know if you've ever had anxiety or an anxiety attack. The last thing you want to do is to eat. When people face depression, the last thing they want to do is eat. How come? Because they're so consumed with other things that they can't get what they really need, and that's the nourishment for their soul, for their bodies. And that ten times fold in our walk with the Lord. You, you see, oftentimes uh, when we are in depression or we're in anxiety or when we're double-minded, the last place we go is where? To the Lord. We try to figure it out on our own. There's a saying that says, my best thinking got me here. Well, your best thinking is not going to get you out of here. You being sober-minded and self-control and coming and laying out before the Lord Jesus and asking him to fill you with what only he can fill you will give you the nourishment that you and I need to have the motivation which is at hand which will give us the method to reach those within the church. And I've asked myself this question this week often. Based on my holiness, am I loving the church well? Am I personally, am I loving the church well? See, my love for the church will only be an outflow of my prayer life, of my time with the Lord. That's true in every relationship. If my relationship with the Lord is not right, is not sober-minded, is not self-control, then every other relationship suffers. And I wonder this morning, for us, Powell's Chapel, for us in this church, are our relationships suffering with one another because our relationship with the Lord is suffering? Do we have nothing to give to one another because we've been given nothing from the Lord because we haven't sought the Lord because if I don't have personal holiness and I'm not full with what God has for me then I cannot do the other things right he says then after in verse 8 above all this after I'm sober-minded after I'm self-controlled after I've prayed and sought the Lord then I do these things but it starts with me and my relationship with the Lord you see that in this passage. He doesn't start with us. He starts with me and him. And then he moves us to the us part of the text. You and me. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Our prayer life will push us into loving one another earnestly. Let me uh, tell you about that word. Circle that word in your Bible. We'll come back to the love part, but I believe we've got to understand the earnestness part of our love first. Do we really, we can say we love someone, but do we have an 
earnest love for someone. This is what the word earnest means. It means the stretching or the straining, a picture of a person run, getting ready to run so they can give maximum effort. You'd be foolish to enter the 100-meter dash cold as cold can be. I mean, even if I stretch now, I'm throwing out something. Hip, leg, arm, something's going out. Thank you. Right, and so what Peter's telling us is, are you stretching yourself so that you can go love earnestly? Have you done all the work and all the preparation for the race that you're about to run with love? Which is going to point us back to the only way you and I can love earnestly is to spend time with the Lord Jesus. Spending time with the Lord Jesus is what stretches us. Right? Because when I spend time with the Lord and I get my face into God's Word, God's Word is going to stretch me in places that I do not want to be stretched and I don't even know need to be stretched. I went hiking <clears throat> on Friday. Bad idea. I didn't stretch. I thought, man, this is going to be a pretty easy hike. I got on the round bend up the hill and I thought I was going to die. I was not ready for that hike. It was not even that high of a hike. It, it was around Radnor Lake. I don't know if you've ever been around Radnor Lake. That's not an exhaustive hike, people. But I hadn't done the earnest stretching and preparing for the hike. And I woke up Saturday morning and I thought, man, I know I'm not that old, but I can barely move. My feet hurt, my knees hurt, my back hurt. I don't know how, but my neck hurt. I had pieces of my body that were hurting. And I thought, I didn't even use that muscle. And yet that's what happens to us. If we don't take the time to earnestly love one another, to do all the stretching that it's going to take to love one another, the Greek word literally means, it's, it's the picture. Uh, I love how the Greek words are picture. They give the picture of the word. I think in pictures. The Greek word or the picture the Greeks painted for us when it came to the word earnestness was this, a, a horse stretching out, running at full speed. Have you ever seen a horse run at full speed? It is amazing. And it takes every ounce of energy every muscle in a horse for that horse to run full speed. And I wonder for us, Powell's Chapel, this morning, do we love earnestly? Do we love in full speed? Or are we loving with a walk? Are we loving each other with a brisk jog? Or are we loving earnestly he says this how what are we to do earnestly we are to love one another you see this love is sacrificial it requires something of every believer love is not easy amen i guess i'm the only one that's married in the room 
Wow. Y'all tell me how to love your spouse well and it's not, and not, that doesn't take time or sacrifice. Man, loving earnestly is very difficult. Thank you. I'm not alone finally. But this is what Paul, Peter is telling us, that love is going to be sacrificial. Do we here at Powell's Chapel love each other sacrificially? You see, to love sacrificially means I'm going to have to put some of my own desires to the side. I'm going to have to put my own passions to the side. If I'm going to love sacrificially, I'm going to have to put my own preferences aside. I can say this because Jenny's not here this morning, and if it gets back to her, I'm coming after all of y'all. Early in our marriage, Jenny loves to eat healthy. I don't really like eating healthy, if I'm honest. It doesn't taste all that great. doesn't have a whole lot of flavor. But I had to put things aside, my preferences aside, because she wanted to do what was best for our family. And I think for us here in the church, how does that translate? What are we willing to put aside for each other, for the body of Christ, and ultimately for the lost people in our community? Will we love each other first and foremost, sacrificially? Turn over to Corinthians, the love chapter. The word love in this text and in our text is the word agape. Do we have an agape for one another, a true love for one another? Here's what Paul says love will look like. Verse 1. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal, and if I have prophetic powers in understanding all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. Pals Chapel, are we clanging symbols this morning? Do we claim to have love, but we really do not have love, and we are just a bunch of clanging noises? That's, what, that's the picture that he's given us. It's as if we were to have a drum kit up here and cymbals and a bass and a snare hat and I were to get in behind the drum kit. I cannot play drums worth a lick. It would sound horrible. I've got no rhythm to, to begin with. I don't know uh, if, what you're supposed to hit first or how to hit it. And so if I were to sit behind a drum kit and begin to hit on the instruments, you if we had no music, it would be like, man, he looks like he's playing the drums. I mean, I'd look like Animal from the Muppets. That's how crazy I'd go. But if we turned on the sound, you would say, oh, man, that is terrible. That is a bunch of racket. And I wonder for us, Pals Chapel, is that true for us? Are we just a bunch of clangy noise and racket? Or do we have true love for one another because this is what love is 
he goes on to tell us, love is this. You want to know how to be in rhythm with love? You see, it takes rhythm to play the drum. It's one of the few instruments that all four uh, of your body parts, your arms and your legs, work at the same time. And are we in step like that? And this is what Paul says. You want to be in rhythm? You want to have the rhythm of love? This is what it looks like. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. I'll read that again. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable. It is not resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoings, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Do we, Pal Chapel, have that rhythm of love? Because if we do, let's flip back to Peter. What does Peter tell us? If we have that kind of love, what does love do? Love what? Love earnestly. Love earnestly because love covers a multitude of sins. Do we love that way, Pal's Chapel? Because the way we love one another will be a demonstration of how Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? Christ love, loved us in a way that covered all of our sins. And therefore, when we love one another, we will cover each other's sins. We will go past each other's sins because we love one another. Do we love that way, Pal's Chapel? Or are you, this morning, do you sit here, do you have resentments within the context of these four walls? Are you angry with someone in the four walls of this church? Whatever those things that Paul listed for us, if those are not true of you in here, then you must move to confession and confession first and foremost to God, but that confession must play, play out in our relationships with one another. You cannot just be sorry to God, but you must be sorry to another individual. It's what confession is. Is that true for us this morning? The next part will move us to we're to love each other and what? We are to show hospitality to one another. You see, the great thing about Ch Palace Chapel is this, since day one I've been here, y'all have been one of the most hospitable churches. And I'll say this, and if I get in trouble, oh well. The longer I've been here, I've noticed that we're not hospitable to one another in the church. We can be hospitable outside the church all we want, but do we show hospitality inside the church? That's my great fear that we do not. You see, because hospi hospitality extends beyond just tangible acts, providing meals or a place to stay, it's not just an act, but it's an attitude. That's what he says. What does he say? Show hospitality without grumbling. So hospitality is not just an action. Hospitality comes from here. And if your heart is not right, you can do all the actions. But if you and I do not have hospitality without grumbling, we don't have hospitality. We got something that looks like hospitality, but it's not true hospitality. Because do we do it without grumbling? 
Do we do it without complaining? Do we do hospitality sacrificially? He goes on to say this, now concerning the gifts. Here's our next method. It's first about your holiness and your righteousness, and out of that's going to come how God has uniquely gifted every one of us in this room. Verse 10. As each has received a gift, underline a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Who speaks, whoever speaks, as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So the first thing we see, our method to showing God's grace and love to us inside the church is this, through your gifts. And here's the deal with gifts. Gifts are gifts. A gift is something that is given to you that that you don't deserve, that you you aren't asking for, that you don't know is coming. It's God's gift to you. God gave you the gifts. Whatever those gifts are, they've been given to you by God. You cannot go find them. You cannot go dig for them. You cannot read enough about them. They are unique to you. It's how God has given you the gift of whatever the gift is. If it's teaching, teach. If it's to prophesy, prophesy. Paul goes off on a tangible things of what those gifts look like. We don't have time this morning to cover them all. Do you first know how God has uniquely gifted you would be the question. Because if you're a believer here, at the moment of your conversion, God bestowed gifts on to you. And are you using your gifts inside the church to encourage to uphold to build to love to serve one another am i using those gifts for you you see each believer's spiritual gift is unique it's as unique as a fingerprint and as unique as a snowflake you see you know what a snowflake looks like but every snowflake that's ever fallen in all of history has been unique. Isn't that amazing? Of all the seven billion people on the planet this morning, every one of us this morning has a unique thumbprint. Though if I put a thumbprint on the, sta- on the, on the screen, you'd know, oh, that's a thumbprint. But no one thumbprint looks the same. True for our spiritual gifts. You are uniquely gifted by God for one purpose and one purpose only, and that's to serve the body. Are you using your gifts this morning? Are you, as what he says, are you being good stewards with all that God has given to you? A good steward is one those who manage their gifts wisely and use them obediently. If you are not using your gift to serve the body this morning, you are not being obedient to God's call on your life and what God has done with this gift. He's given you a gift to use for his body. If you're not doing that, you're in direct disobedience of God's word this morning. And he says this, to be good stewards of God's very grace. What does that word very mean? It literally means a multitude of colors. It's multifaceted. God's multifaceted grace is manifested in us through our giftedness. Do we believe that? And we are to use it to serve one another. And then he gives two examples of what that looks like. The first, he's saying here's two ways that our gifts can look. This is not uh, just 
these two alone. This is just a snapshot of some gifts. He said, whoever speaks, speaks as one who's speaking of God, whoever serves. So there's the gift of speaking and the gift of serving. Th- these two categories could be this. Speaking could be this. Preaching, teaching, wisdom, knowledge, discernment. Anything that's coming out of your mouth, that's a gift from God. Do you use your gift of discernment to encourage the church? Do you get, use your gift of wisdom to encourage the church? Do you use your gift of teaching to encourage the church? Do you use your gift of preaching to encourage the church? I am not the only gifted teacher in the room. I'll say that again. I'm not the only gifted teacher in the room. You do not have one man given to you by God to teach. There are many teachers in this room. Are we using our gifts to minister to one another? To encourage the body? He says this, whoever serves. Service could be administration. I'm terrible at that. Someone asked me this week, one of my uh, counseling people asked me this week, hey, can you help me with a budget? I'm like, man, I might as well help you with Mandarin. I'm terrible at administration. That is not my gift. And so because of that, I need people in this room that have the gift of administration to come around me to help me with my gifts that I do not have. So it could be administration, it could be prayer, it could be mercies, it could be helps. That is where Jenny is a great compliment to me. Man, her hospitality is off the charts. Her mercy gift is off the charts. And we need each other. That's what Paul says in Corinthians. We are all one body. And yet, because we're all one body, we have many parts. And we need the body to work with all of its parts to fulfill the function of a body. That is to be a body. Is that true for us? Which will move us on to the mission There is one mission that we are to hold here in the church. You see, the the motivation is because the time is at hand. The method, method is to use all that God has given to us, but the mission is the same throughout all of Scripture. He says this, what is the mission? To love and steward God's grace to one another. In order that in everything underline that in your bible in everything god may be glorified through jesus christ to him belong the glory the dominion forever and ever and ever amen our mission is onefold it's it's what peter is using the word that peter is using here is our doxology he's giving us a doxology it is to bring an expression of praise and glory to god Is your life and is my life this morning through my acts of service bringing glory to God? Is my life a doxology to those that are around me to bring praise and glory and dominion to God forever and ever and ever? That is our mission. And if that is not your mission to bring the glory of God through your gifts, then please stop serving the church. If your mission is that you would get the praise by being a teacher or or using your gifts for your glory, stop doing it. If you do anything in this church so that you can be known, that you can be seen, that you can be praised, stop doing it. Our whole mission as a church 
is that we would use God's unique gifts for us to one another so that you will praise God with all of your heart and I will praise God with all of my heart. And at the end of the day, if I'm your pastor, your preacher, and I'm speaking to you and it's about me, fire me. Because this is not about me. This pulpit is not about me. This pulpit is not that I get the praise. This pulpit, the preaching, the teaching of God's word is that you would leave here this morning and you would praise God with all that you have. Is that true for you this morning? Do you come in here every Sunday and every Wednesday with one purpose? Hey, I'm going to serve the church so that God gets all the praise and all the glory. Is that true for you and me? Because he says that that's true, amen. The word amen simply means let it be so. I know I'm fired up because I'm spitting everywhere. I like to see it all over my sleeves. This is what Paul says. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 through 11, verse 1. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone and everything, I do not seek my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Remember, Christ's whole purpose was to seek and save that which was lost. But it was that God, his Father, would get all the glory forever and ever and ever. I'll leave us with this quote this morning. It says, a holy man will follow after spiritual mindedness. He will endeavor to set his affections entirely on things above and to hold things on earth with a very loose hand, he will not neglect the business of the life that, is, that now is. But the first place in his mind and thoughts will be given to the life to come. He will aim to live like one whose treasure is in heaven and to pass through this world like a stranger and a pilgrim traveling to his home. Is that true for you and me as we serve this church? Let us pray. God, I pray that we would believe the end is near. And because of that, God, it would give us a great motivation to love one another and to love one another well. God, we need love in this church desperately. God, I do not know all that you have in store for us here at Palace Chapel. But I do know this. You've called us to love and to love well. I pray that we would do that this morning. So God, I pray that our method would be pure. Because the mission, God, you've placed us on is so clear. The mission is that you would be glorified in all that you we say and all that we think and all that we do that you would get all the praise all the glory and all the honor 
I pray that would even be true this morning, God, as we leave here, that this morning you have looked down upon us and you have received all the glory in this place, God. God, I pray for us here this morning. As we sit quietly for a few moments and we do some introspection, God, I pray, is there any, any resentment, any hatred, any ill will towards one another in this body, God? I pray that this morning we would come and we confess it to you, but we would not leave this place without confessing it to the one that we have grievances against. against. Your word is so true, God, when we confess to you and confess to another, God, that we will be forgiven. So I pray that would be true. God, we need healing in this place. We'll take a lot of humility on a lot of our parts, God. To make things right. But above all, God, I pray that you would be glorified in this place. Continue to lead us. Continue to guide us. We seek you with all of our heart, God. Praise in Christ's mighty name. Amen.